And the second reading is 1 Peter 5, which is on page 1223. To the elders and the flock, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of the shepherd, oh, sorry, of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be and not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve and not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Thank you, Val. We've um, reworked our whole welcoming procedure based on that last verse, so expect to be greeted with a kiss of love as you walk in the door uh, next Sunday. Uh, welcomers, be primed. No, that's a joke, actually. Sorry, not going to do that. Probably have all sorts of safe ministry problems, uh, I think, at that point. Anyway, let's dive in. This morning we're talking about leadership, and I'd like to suggest that leadership is actually inevitable. There's no such thing as a group of people who don't have leaders. 
Uh, it's whether the leaders are uh, recognised or not, uh, and leadership as it actually happens. Uh, the question is not whether we have leaders, it's whether they are good leaders or bad leaders. Um, and I think as people, we, even we idiosyncratically individualistic Australians, we who like to do it our way, we do long for leaders. We long for leaders that we can trust. We long for leaders who will actually serve our best interests. But I have to say that as I read the newspaper and I listen to the radio and I talk to people, I think when we think about leadership in our country, we're a little bit cynical. Yes? Okay, we have approval ratings that I think could be more often characterised as disapproval ratings uh, because rarely do I ever see them above that 50% mark. Uh, We are cynical about our leaders because their failings are very, very public. Not just our politicians, but our leaders in business, our leaders in the church, our leaders in our sporting teams. We have a deep distrust of leaders. We don't expect very much of them, but this this creates a problem because we need leaders. We want leaders. Leaders are there. But we have an attitude to leadership, perhaps that needs to be submitted, perhaps to God's word. It means that we are reluctant ourselves to lead because the last thing I want is for someone to think of myself, uh, think of me in lines with these other leaders. I don't want to be put in the same box, tarred with the same brush. I don't want you to think I'm just like them. So I'll stand back. I'll be reluctant to lead. I'll be reluctant also to be led. We become disengaged. We opt out. We stand back. But leaders are needed. And for God's church, leaders are essential. So is there an answer? Can there actually be a better way? This morning we're looking at this letter, this final part of Peter's letter to the churches. And he writes as a leader to a church about leadership. He says to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Peter here is speaking on this topic of leadership. So let's see what he has to say. Uh, I have four points, as usual. They all start with the same letter, as usual. Purpose. I do this just to um, help you remember it. I know it's trite. I know it's, you know, yeah. Anyway, purpose, people, perils and promise. So, purpose. We've been talking all the way through the book of 1 Peter that God has a purpose in this world and his people are a part of that purpose. And if you go all the way back to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, to reverse the effects of the curse, God makes a promise to Abram. Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3 and at the end of that list of promises to bless, he says, and all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. Now, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul picks up that very verse in Galatians 3 verse 7, and he speaks of how Scripture foresaw that God would justify, declare right before him, the Gentiles, the nations, 
by faith and announced the gospel, the good news in advance to Abraham. All the nations will be blessed through you. Paul here is saying that that promise, 2000 or so BC, was fulfilled in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the justification, the right standing that we have before God through faith in Christ is the fulfillment of his promise to bless. So God promises it to Abraham, fulfills it in Christ, but it doesn't stop. Just because it's reached a climax doesn't mean that it stops. And Peter draws on this as he uses the language of the Old Testament people of God, the language of Israel, to describe the ongoing mission of God through his people. So in chapter 2, verse 9 of 1 Peter, he calls them a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. He tells us in chapter 3, verse 9, that we were called to be a blessing. We were called to bless others and that we might inherit a blessing as well. In chapter 2, verse 2, he tells us that we are to live such good lives among the nations that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they will see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We have that ongoing purpose. It's fulfilled in Christ, but the blessing still goes out as Christ is proclaimed and God's people live for him, for his glory. But if you've been paying attention over the last uh, seven, eight weeks now that we've been looking at 1 Peter, you realise that it's not all been plain sailing for the people that Peter has been writing to. The church is under pressure. They are facing slander, exclusion, persecution. They are afraid. Peter here, he writes from, or he brings greetings from she who is in Babylon. Any idea who that is? She who is in Babylon. Well, if you pick up a commentary, pretty much every commentator says she is not a person, she is a church, and Babylon is not Babylon, it's actually Rome. Peter is using the language of the great opponent of God's people, Babylon, the place of slavery and exile, to describe Rome. The book of Revelation picks it up if you want to read through that as well. But here you have the church living in Babylon. Remember how Peter writes to them. He says, you're aliens, you're strangers, you're foreigners. You're passing through. This is not your home. Peter writes to a people under pressure. A people who have a purpose, but one that is challenged. And so, as we saw last, last week... One of God's answers to facing that pressure and withstanding it and staying true is the community that he makes us a part of, the church. And the church needs leaders, which brings us on to our second point. People. Peter writes to a church and he calls them, a funny little name at the start of chapter 5, he calls them God's flock. You're all sheep. That's what he's saying. We're all sheep, actually. Um, Now, this is an Old Testament image. Before you get offended, I'll come and explain why it's not saying you're all stupid. Okay? We'll get to that. But, 
But what we actually see, this is an Old Testament image, and Val read for us, didn't she, about the prophet Ezekiel speaking to God's people. Where were they? They were in exile in Babylon. God's people, God is there saying, I will shepherd my flock. Verses 11 and 12. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. God's people are God's flock. We are sheep, not that we are stupid, but we are vulnerable. Sheep need protection. Sheep need provision. Anyone who has much to do with sheep recognizes they're not that good at looking after themselves. They need shepherds. And that is what God himself promises to be. And then he takes it a step further in verse 23 of Ezekiel 34. He says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them and he will tend them and be their shepherd. David, the great king of Israel, the shepherd king, the one called from tending the flocks to tending God's flock. God is promising Ezekiel here, or through Ezekiel, that David once again will be God's shepherd. David wasn't raised from the dead, but the son of David, Jesus the Christ, comes in in John 10. And what does he say? I am the good shepherd. My sheep know me, I know them. Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the one who shepherds God's flock. He is the great leader of God's people. And God gathers his people as he has gathered us. He shepherds his people through the preaching and teaching of his word. If you've got your Bibles there, look at chapter 5, verse 1. You see, Peter introduces himself uh, as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. Now, he could be saying that he was there and he saw it, which is true. Peter, the apostle, was there and he did see it. What I think he's actually saying is not that he's an eyewitness, but that he like the other elders of the church, bear witness. So he is a fellow elder. He's an elder alongside them who does the same job that they do, which is to bear witness to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to look forward to the glory that is to be revealed, that they're all going to share. They share on each of the three fronts. Peter here is saying, I think, that God's leaders testify to God's gospel. That is what he does. That is what he calls the leaders of the church to do. He appointed under shepherds and all they do is they point to the chief shepherd. Their job is to minister the word. The preaching and teaching of God's word is pastoring the flock. That is at the heart of Christian ministry. Now, I want to just explore this a little bit with you. I've been doing this job now for 20-something years. Uh, 
student minister, then full-time after that. Uh, and I've come across a load of people with loads of different ideas of what pastors do. You know, you get the people who say, oh, so what do you do with the other six days of your week? Uh, you know, because we only work Sunday morning. Um, or here, I, you know, as a step down at Trinity Bay, I have to work Sunday evening too. My last church, I didn't. We did it all in the morning. But so what, what do pastors do? And they have lots of different ideas. My family, who isn't Christian, uh, my brother is a social worker. And uh, I think my parents put me and him on the same kind of front. I just do it in a religious kind of way, and Andrew just does it in a social kind of way. Uh, and is that, really what, is that really what a pastor does? What's, what's your expectation of me, of Colin, of Mark, of Stephen, of the youth leaders? of the Bible study leaders, of the kids' church leaders, as they lead, essentially, it is a ministry of the word of God. It's not the only thing we do. But if you take that out or you push it aside, the very way that God leads his people is actually shut out, is actually denied. That is why we spend so much time here at Trinity Church Brighton, preaching and teaching the word of God. That is why I spend hours, that is why Colin will spend hours preparing to preach the word, because we believe this is what God has called us to do. As Trinity Church Woodcroft, uh, or wherever it is going to be, starts up, those of you who go, your number one expectation of Colin should be that he preaches the word in season and out of season. He corrects, rebukes, admonishes. As Paul charges Timothy, so that should be your expectation of Colin. As for those of you who stay with us at Brighton, it should be your expectation of those who preach and teach those who lead here. God's people are shepherded by those under-shepherds as they point to the chief shepherd, to Christ in his word, as we sing. Let's keep rolling. There are dangers. There are threats to this. I have identified four, or Peter identifies four, and I picked them up from his passage. There are bad shepherds. There are rogue sheep. There is pride and fear. And there are lions. Verse 2 and 3. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Bad shepherds. Here, Peter is encouraging them to be good shepherds. Good shepherds that are willing, not grudging. Good shepherds who are examples, not exploiting their position for money, or for power, doing it all for the wrong reasons. How do, how, do shepherds, how do shepherds become bad shepherds? They forget that this is God's flock. They forget that Jesus is the chief shepherd. That Jesus says, you will shepherd my flock by preaching my word. They forget about him, or at least they push him aside, and it becomes about me. It becomes about serving my interests, 
I've heard lots of Christian leaders talk about how they felt that the next step for them was to step into Christian lead, And, and as they talk about it, and I'm saying they're all doing it for the wrong reasons, but they're giving me a lot of reasons that sounds about them. It's what I want to do rather than this is God's flock. This is, this is God's mission. This is God's purpose. When we forget that, when we focus in and it becomes about us, it then becomes about our purpose and pursuing our goals. Shepherds, because you are willing, as examples, eager to serve. But there are also rogue sheep. Verse 5, in the same way you who are younger submit yourselves to your elders. Now, Elders is both an older person title as well as a leader title. Uh, and it could be older in chronological years uh, or it could be more mature in your faith. Okay? The younger ones are not just the people who are, you know, 48 and below. They're the young people in this church and the older people, you're above that. Okay? It's not that at all. What he's actually saying is you've got leaders who should be the more mature, who are generally the ones with grey in their hair or less hair on their head. Um, You've got those. And the rest of you are the younger ones, okay? The less mature, perhaps. It's not saying each individual ones, but they're larger categories. So here he could have said to the leaders and to the congregation. So don't exclude yourself there, even though you might be older in years. He's talking to you. Why does he tell them they need to submit? Because our natural tendency is not, is it? We push our own agendas. We push for our own ways. We're not willing to get with the plan. But Peter here expects, commands, active support and engagement with leaders. Not the kind of passive disinterest it's interesting one of the best way to undermine leaders is just to check out and in church one of the ways you do that is just turn up don't get involved Um, and you what you'll do is you'll turn your leaders into managers Uh, and they'll be about just preserving the status quo and you'll be happy to let them do that but it costs what colin's going to do and it costs for us to send him And it costs for those to go. And it costs us who stay as we lose all these relationships because that's leadership. Colin's saying, come follow me as I follow Christ to plant a new congregation. The best way to undermine that is everyone go, oh, that just sounds a bit hard. I'm not going to get involved with that. And Colin goes out with Sharon and doesn't go anywhere. Comes back here. And we just maintain the status quo. The best way to undermine leadership is just to go passive. You don't even have to attack it. It's much too much effort to attack it. Just ignore it. And you turn leaders into managers. But God appoints leaders in his pe- amongst his people. And we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that. And Peter here is saying, congregation, recognize God's purpose submit to those in authority now what he's not saying is when your leaders are bad leaders submit to them he is saying 
though, on issues that are not issues, core issues of orthodoxy or godliness in life, on the kind of the nitty gritty, on the things that don't actually matter, that God doesn't actually give us explicit commands out of scripture where there's freedom, don't fight about these. So often churches get upset. I can remember churches getting upset about seats, you know, or, or, or what, where the tables are in the front bit of the church. If you're going to fight about something, are you going to fight about that? Oh no, you've moved it from that side to that side. Really? Really? I haven't been here at Trinity Church, Brighton, almost said it, uh, for long enough to actually know what we fight about. But the good thing is in the six months I've been here, I haven't seen it. But what will we fight about? Will we fight about, oh, I don't really like that music? What do we fight about? Fight for the truth. Fight for godliness of living. But in the rest of it, get involved, feedback, communicate, but recognize that it's not all about you. It's actually not about the leaders. It's actually about the one that we serve. Hebrews says it, I think, brilliantly. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives, uh, shows favour to the humble. Oh, that's one Peter. What am I doing? Where's Hebrews gone? Well, let me dig it up. I have got a Bible here. Hebrews 13, uh, chapter 17. Um, let me just find it. Hebrews is New Testament, isn't it? Yes. Um, here it is. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give account. They are under shepherds of the chief shepherd. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. We used to joke when I was a physio that our job would be so much easier without patients. Um, you could imagine a similar version with pastors but then your job kind of becomes obsolete if you're a physio without patients or a pastor without a flock but flock hear about this and it feels weird you know you must submit to me no um but recognize that god has a purpose get on board that's what i would say get on board engage be a part of a community that is going somewhere rather than a community that is just trying to make ourselves comfortable in the here and the now. I've been encouraged to see uh, how many people have been prepared to get on board, which has been great. The excitement that Colin's uh, been having people, when are we going, when are we going, when's this church plant happening? The fact that we have a congregational meeting and a hundred or so people turn up, it's absolutely fantastic. So be encouraged, be encouraged, but that is what we're working for. We're working to see God's glory, God's purposes. What more threats? Let me accelerate. Pride and fear. Five, this is it. This is the one I should have been reading. All of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He commands humility. He's reminding them. As he's reminded the leaders and he's reminded 
the congregation. Now he reminds everyone, it's not about you. It's not. You are God's flock. It is God. And it is about him. And he says, humble yourself. What does humility look like? I think C.S. Lewis captures it brilliantly. It says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's actually those people who are thinking about others before they think about themselves. Thinking about meeting others' needs before having their own needs met. It's not the person who says, oh, you know, I'm rubbish at that, and they run themselves down. You can actually be arrogant in a really self-depreciating way because the way you run yourself down, it's still all about you. Peter says, get your eyes on God. Get your eyes on the chief shepherd. Get your eyes on others. Humble yourself, therefore. And the gospel gives us wonderful resources for humbling us. What does the gospel, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ say about humility? It says, you are all sinners saved by grace. That no matter what achievements we have racked up, no matter how bright and shiny your life looks, Christ had to die for you. It humbles us. It brings us down. It says, we are all in the same boat. There are no degrees... Paul says in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you're a leader, what resources for humility does the gospel give? Well, Peter's given us some of them here. Whose flock? It's not your flock, it's God's flock. Whose gifts do you use? They're God's gifts. You are a steward, he told us in the passage that we looked at. Last week, you work for God's purposes, for his glory. It's not about you. Peter says, be humble. Don't look to your own interests. Serve others. But that can be hard. Because if I don't look to my interests, who looks after me? Well, Peter answers that. When that anxiety comes, when that worry, that concern... He says, cast all your anxiety upon him because you have a chief shepherd who cares for you and who's able to bless you better than you can do it yourself. Infinitely better than you can do it yourself. Paul says the same thing in Philippians 4 verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, submit your request to God. Recognize it's not about you. Put your heart, your mind on him. The last threat. Be alert, sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Sheep are vulnerable. Lions eat sheep. Your enemy, the devil, like a lion, wants to eat you, us. It puts those other three contexts in peril. It's not just about getting your own way. It's actually about 
seeing sheep eaten by the lion. These petty squabbles are placed within a larger spiritual struggle where Satan is opposed to God's purposes in the world. The little quibble about where furniture is in the sanctuary, the songs that we sing, the morning tea that we have, whatever it is that we want to fight about, these little quibbles that undermine the unity of God's people and cut the legs out of God's leadership. Peter tells us this is Satan's work. And he says, resist him. How? Not by some kind of mystic spiritual battle, but by humility, by prayerful trust, by submitting to faithful leadership, by humbly serving others, by not giving in to fear, by standing firm, Peter tells us in chapter 5, verse 12, he tells us that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Living each day for Christ. Because we, we are called to be his people and to serve him. Brings us to our last point. Where do we get this? This strength, this is hard stuff. To take our eyes off ourselves, to be good leaders, to be good followers. We get it through the promise of God. God promised a shepherd didn't he? Christ fulfilled that shepherd promise. I am the good shepherd, he said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And as Christ went to the cross, he did that. He rescued his flock from the jaws of sin and death and evil. He Paul writes as Philippians 2, in very nature God, with all the power and majesty, He did not use that as something to be exploited for his own ends, but he submitted. He humbled himself. He laid down his life like a sheep. He was slaughtered for us. This is our leader, our chief shepherd. The one who has served us in this way. The one in very nature God submitted himself to the cross. And so we live, we live under his leadership, knowing that the victory is won, that we are secure, that we are loved, that we are blessed, that we, through the blood of Christ, are his flock, that God has fulfilled his promises and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that guarantee. And so as we lead and follow We live with Christ as the chief shepherd. We rest in his grace. We listen to his promises. Verse 7, he tells us that he cares for us. Verse 6, humble yourself that he may lift you up. The shepherd will stoop down and raise each each one of us up out of the grave into eternity. Verses 10 and 11. What a wonderful way to end this letter. The God of all grace who called you in his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered 
a little while. Puts it in perspective. Just a little while. He himself will restore you. These are four four verbs that just repeat the same idea. Paul is, uh, Peter is, is building upon himself. He tells us that he will restore us. He will confirm us. He will strengthen us. He will establish us. He could have used one. He used four because he is saying this one, this one is trustworthy. As he did it for Christ, he will do it for us. And so as we humble ourselves, as we lead courageously and faithfully submitting to God's word, as we submit to God's leaders amongst his people, we do so resting in the grace of the chief shepherd. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to give you just a a little while. Um, Simon's going to come and lead us in prayer, but just maybe to... Reflect prayerfully in the quiet of your own heart and mind that you might um, bring some things before God that perhaps he's laid upon your heart this morning or across the series. But in a minute or two, Simon's going to come and lead us in prayer. But can I encourage you to ponder further?